Welcome to the Anthropology and Business Podcast, where you'll learn about the many ways anthropology is applied in business and why business anthropology is one of the most effective lenses for making sense of organizations and consumers. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in advertising, marketing, consumer behavior, organizational culture, user experience, and many other roles, you'll learn firsthand what it means to do business anthropology and how the work differs from academic anthropology. We'll discuss issues like the pace and depth of research in business, our visibility and influence as practitioners, and what we can do to build our brand. We will also focus on the value and impact of our research in business so that we can help business leaders understand why they should be hiring anthropologists. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. I'm Matt Arts. I'm here today with Mujtaba Hamid, who is a senior research consultant at Stripe Partners. So Mujtaba, thanks for uh, taking the time and joining me. Would you tell everybody how you got interested in anthropology? Sure. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. How I got interested in anthropology? Well, I think, okay, so my undergraduate degree was a joint degree in archaeology and anthropology. And I chose that because I guess I just, I was a bit of a, kind of a dilettante at school. Um, I'm not kind of sure where your listenership tends to be, but um, is it mainly US-based listeners? Uh, it's quite global, about 80 countries, but pri- oh. still primarily the US. Okay, sure. So might help to get a bit of context in how the, the UK education system is. So I think the difference between us and the US is we specialize a lot earlier. And there's like a narrowing of subject choice. Um, so when you're, you're doing your A-level, so when you're, I guess, 16, uh, 17 to 18, I guess, is when you, you do your, your final school exam uh, before uh, university or college, um, you narrow everything down just to four subjects. And, uh, and then when you're at university, you have to have a further narrowing of just to often one or, or, or two subjects at the maximum. So you, you don't really get to do what, you know, I think a lot of people at liberal arts universities do, which is um, try a bunch of different courses and, and then pick a major. So, yeah, um, the four subjects I chose for my A-levels um, were, were philosophy, English, biology and chemistry. So I had these very wide ranging interests and I wanted to do Latin as well. But they wouldn't let me. <laughs> it wouldn't work with my, with my subjects. And initially, I considered becoming a doctor like my parents. But my, uh, my heart really wasn't in it. And um, when you apply for university, you need to write a personal statement in addition to everything you, um, your scores and everything. And looking back, I just feel like it was so clear that I wasn't so set on being a doctor. <laughs> my interest lied elsewhere and actually everywhere. So, um, unable to just do my dream of like, I, wanna, I was really into, into Gilmore Girls at the time, the TV show. And then <laughs> one of the main characters in that goes, goes to Yale. And I was like, oh, that'd be so great to go to Yale. There's no Yale in the UK. So I had to settle for English, English version. Um, and I chose archaeology and anthropology because that seemed like an extremely broad degree, you know, covering the you know, history of human societies and, and cultures and everything. And then in doing so, in starting, the degree, I, all the optional courses I chose, because um, you had two main archaeology courses and then two main anthropology courses, and then you had to pick additional ones. 
everything I chose was anthropology related. I found an immediate love of the methodology of you know, the way in which uh, data was written up. I found that uh, archaeology had a real kind of, there was a movement to, to make it quite scientific. And, um, you know, in the 70s, processual archaeology, that kind of thing. And to me, I just didn't like the way of talking about humans in, in that particular, in those terms, really. I, I was really drawn to the storytelling of ethnographies. So yeah, I kind of specialized in anthropology then. Um, but I didn't start practicing straight away. I um, did a bunch of different other jobs. I kind of dabbled in startups. I dabbled in creative industries in my, in my early 20s. Um, and then I stumbled upon anthropology again, I guess in my mid-20s, when I found myself working as a, as a recruiter. So I was working in a recruitment company that specialized in innovation. Uh, one of my very earliest jobs was as an innovation consultant uh, for a boutique consultancy here in London. And what we did was um, we actually used a lot of qualitative research in our, our approaches, you know, focus groups, interviews, that kind of thing, pretty standard stuff. And I found I had a really good affinity for that. And I really liked it. And it touched on my anthropological training from my undergrad. Um, but that company kind of fired half its people in the first year. <laughs> because they'd, they'd grown too fast too soon. And, um, and then I was kind of, you know, found myself without a job at the beginning of my career with sort of less than a year of, of that experience. But I knew I wanted to go into that field of innovation. And then my own recruiter, who got me that entry-level job, hired me to, to develop a kind of a, uh, a recruitment process aimed at similar companies. So I did that for about 18 months. And um, over that period of time, I met so many different people um, in this field of design, service design, recruitment, innovation, um, that kind of thing. And that really expanded my mind to the possibilities of anthropology, because a lot of them had anthropology as, as either training or like a, a skill on, on their CV and everything. And um, yeah, those conversations inspired me to go back to university. And um, if you're good at recruitment, it's, it's pretty well paid. So you can, um, you know, you can go back safely. So I went back, I got my master's um, in social and cultural anthropology. And then, yeah, then I um, embarked on this uh, anthropology in practice kind of career. Great. Thanks for sharing that. And so just to dig into the recruitment a little bit more, I mean, what were you seeing, you know, any, any particular interests or uh, insights there about how people were positioning themselves, what was working, what wasn't working? I found that people often didn't use anthropology on their, on their resume, on their CV that much. Um, I think there was a sense that that prospective employers wouldn't really get it necessarily, unless you were quite specific in who you approached. Um, whereas psychology was really broadly used. So people maybe who had an anthropology background would say, oh, you know, expert in human psychology or whatever, <laughs> that kind of thing. Because it's much more of a widely understood field of social sciences. So that was one trend I saw. Um, and then my like conversations I would have with candidates where I would say, oh, okay, you did anthropology. I, I did anthropology. Um, and then th there was immediately this sense of, um, I guess, uh, yeah, brotherhood or, you know, like, oh, yes, we get it. Isn't it great? Um, almost like our, it was our secret. But in the world of service design and um, these more sort of, you know, UXE, user-centered kind of things, it felt like anthropology was gaining more, um, more traction as, as a marker of, of uh, expertise, really, and, um, and craft. So, yeah, it, it was a sense that anthropology is like a, a best kept secret of, uh, of the social sciences. 
in terms of what the broader population kind of are familiar with. And then, yeah, uh, when it came to actually kind of specializing in, in how like the specific kind of um, aspects of anthropology that are the most useful or applicable, everyone's agreed that sort of ethnography was the main thing that, that you know, is immediately a useful skill. But the thinking, the anthropological thinking is so much a part of it, yet it's hard to speak about. And actually, I think that's quite an interesting thing that we'll, we'll see over the next few years is really that sense of anthropological thinking and thinking with people at the heart of things, but not just individuals, like in, often in psychology, but, you know, societies, populations. Um, I think that's a real, well, to me, I think that's the vision I'd like to see for anthropology. I'd like to see anthropology overthrow psychology as the dominant um, social science discipline to the, to the layman. So how do you think, uh, and maybe it's just your, you know, your own thoughts, but how do you think people could better position something like anthropological thinking in everything career-oriented from, you know, resume through portfolio and then when interviewing? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So what I would do is um, I would get people to write up a resume, but then have the first part of the resume be a space for like a little, a little paragraph, really, or a couple of lines, just giving a quick um a quick kind of a quick hit of uh, of who they are where they want to go and that was a thing that we would kind of flex according to the position they were going for so think of your of your tagline i guess and then if you're talking to someone um a company with a you know uh, indications that they might know about anthropology then you can kind of double down on that and um if you think that you're as a more general application that's when you could sort of adjust and maybe take out anthropology be strategic in talking about anthropological thinking because you don't want to create confusion. I'd say the most important thing is to um, really look into the job description and get a sense for how they talk about things they like. So, for example, if they talk about you know, strategy, well, what does that mean to them specifically? Is that the thinking behind strategy? Is that the, the way in which stories are told and communicated to stakeholders and to people you work with? Um, or is it execution? Um, all these different things are important and people aren't that good at writing job descriptions. Often, I mean, as we've seen recently in the, in the tech industry, a lot of the people being cut are in kind of HR and, and internal recruitment roles. Um, yeah, because of this, you kind of have to do a little bit of, of translation and a lot of recruiters do get a bad, a bad reputation, but I think if you can, if you can make a good relationship with a recruiter, that's a very that's a very useful relationship to have. So my old company, even though I've not been a recruiter for many years now, um, they, they help me with, um, with, with career advice, with other perspectives. I can ask them, uh, oh, you know, I've got a job offer here or at Strike Partners or wherever it was. Um, what's your perspective on this company as an unbiased neutral party? So I think a good recruiter is an important person to find a relationship with if you're kind of if you're serious about developing your career in this often very confusing part of the job space, which is this kind of nascent world of, of consultancies, um, lab, labs, practices, you know, skunk works, all these types of things. Yeah, well, so building on that, um, so you're at Stripe, you know, you're sitting, uh, Stripe does a lot of foundational work. Tell me a little bit about you know, what that looks like for anybody who, who hasn't had the opportunity to play in that space. 
Um, we're actually Stripe partners. And that often is confusing because Stripe is a very big payments company. But yeah, what, what Matt's referring to, to the, to the listeners, <laughs> is Stripe Partners. And we're a consultancy that's based in, um, in London, but we also have uh, people scattered all over the globe. And we, our main thing is that we help technology-led businesses invent better futures. So that looks like working with a lot of tech companies, a lot of startups, um, and using a combination of data science, social science, anthropology, um, and design to help them explore, you know, new uh, products, new audiences, new, new, new whole areas to unlock, help them understand the future they want to build. And that work is very foundational quite often. It's quite exploratory, you know, a lot of, a lot of pathfinding, big, tricky questions like, you know, how should we unlock this? What's the future of that? What does this mean for us? And over the last uh, 10 years or so, we've managed to, you know, build a really strong network of, uh, of clients who trust us with these, with these types of projects. And yeah, um, I think for people who are drawn to these kinds of, of challenge, a place like Stripe Partners is an amazing place to work because the way in which we're set up, our senior leadership, uh, the founders, um, they're very heavily involved with projects. Everyone kind of gets involved with interviewing and traveling and everything which is very different to the typical consultancy model where the more senior you get, the less work you do, and the more you just manage relationships and uh, you know, go for lunches. That's your work, is to go for lunches and maybe talk at events. Our senior leaders, are, they're great because they want to get in the trenches with you because they, they love the work, they love the craft. So I think for anyone new to, the, to this field, it's a fantastic place to learn. And I think there's going to be more and more of these kinds of small smaller boutique consultancy. Um, I feel like, you know, recently, I don't know if the, the, there, was a, there was an article in the, in the FT, um, which is a book review, uh, about how there's actually a, a negative impact to a lot of uh, the larger consultancies, the, you know, the McKinsey's, Bain's, BCG's and everything. There's the sense that a lot of them do more harm than good. Now, I, I can't really speak to that. I know a lot of good people who work for those kinds of companies. But you don't get that at a, at a boutique. You get, you know, a lot of chance to, to do really good work that's very focused on craft and actually learning how to do something rather than just manage people and give recommendations. So, yeah, I think for, let's say, anthropology graduates who are wanting to explore the possibilities of work, if you can manage an internship or a, an apprenticeship. So we, we run what we call apprenticeships, which are three-month uh, programs aimed at new graduates, but could be anyone really. And um, yeah, I would try to get uh, one of those at a company or a co company like ours and, uh, and really, really explore it because it's a, it's a really exciting place to be, I think. Yeah, from having spoken with Simon previously, I mean, certainly the work you're doing is very interesting and it also seems to counter some trends that I'm hearing from other people, um, those being that timelines are kind of greatly compressed and less, less really in the field, you know, in the field work, especially international, whereas it seems like Stripe Partners is still getting to do quite a bit of that. Um, yeah, we just had a, a team come back from, from Seoul in South Korea, uh, obviously. And uh, international field work is still very much up and running here. We, we're doing it a lot. We're trusted to do it by our clients. And a lot of our clients, um, they're kind of sacrificing their own travel for the sake of us. 
know what I mean? They're like, okay, well, we know that you guys can get the job done. So please take this budget, go travel with it. I sadly didn't travel. And um, yeah, let's not talk about it anymore because my, uh, my jealousy is going gonna, gonna to overtake me and I'm going to be in a bad mood the rest of this conversation. So you said in, while describing the, the role, you dropped the term, you know, I don't know if you said pathfinding or pathfinder, but, um, you know, that that's a term that like, you know, pathfinding, wayfinding, some earlier anthropologists, they hear that term and they don't always know what's implied there. And so could you just kind of describe what that work looks like? Well, it's never the same every time. <laughs> that's the interesting and difficult thing about this. Um, this kind of work. What you're doing is, I like to compare it with uh, the concept of negative capability that Keats wrote about, where when you're, you're kind of operating at the, uh, the limits of your understanding, you're kind of exploring things, getting more data, more understanding of, of a topic as you go along. And then as you're doing that, you're un- it's also opening up new possibilities for you in, in how it might be useful. So generally with consulting, um, important thing to always bear in mind is, is so what? So my, my first, um, well, one of my earliest jobs, that was a, a bit of feedback I got, which was your ideas are great, but they're not actually useful often to our client. So don't do it. And then for a, a year I, on, on my uh, screen at work, I had um, a sticky note, which just said, so what on it to remind me? So what, so what, so what? When you're sense making pathfinding, the so what is often not too clear as well. So both things are coming into clarity, your understanding of the problem and your understanding of its possibilities. And that can be very, um, it can be freeing and it can be terrifying. And it actually is always terrifying because when you're embarking on them, uh, on a new project, you, you have this fear that I'm not going to find anything useful and everything I say will be um, either, you know, boring and already known to the client or impractical. But that fear is very important because that keeps you, keeps you sharp and keeps you exploring things. Um, but it might help to kind of exp- uh, illustrate this with um, an example. Yeah, so without giving too much away because of obviously NDAs and everything, I'm working with a tech company recently, last year, exploring um, the possibilities for building experiences between people in virtual reality. And what we were tasked with doing is understanding what makes a meaningful social moment. So a really broad thing, meaningful social moment. There's so many different ways you can attack that problem. And when we've understood what makes a meaningful social moment, we need to have a POV on how to translate that into virtual reality, which again is absurdly open-ended because virtual reality, we're building it. Like, <laughs> what does that mean exactly? Um, but over the course of the, uh, the project, it led us into some really interesting directions. And we came up with a, a framework that kind of outlined different types of social moment with a viewpoint on their suitability to be transposed to a particular interpretation of VR. And in making that interpretation of VR, we kind of learned so much about the significance of what VR could be. Um, and yeah, for me personally, that was a very challenging project because um, yeah, our client, was uh, was quite busy so having to kind of find time with them they're quite a senior individual as well so having to kind of get time with them at the right times bring them in in, in the right moments these kind of strategic ways of uh, of making a project really come to life um that's the third element which i think isn't um that isn't distinct to just path like pathfinding and, and sense making or whatever that's more consulting writ large you need to do work but also you need to make sure you do work to make sure that the work 
is being well received and has legs beyond beyond just the deck you create or the the video you produce or whatever it is. So it's a it's 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 tricky. It's a it's a tough thing to do, but that's what makes it satisfying. And I think it's good to to distinguish a lot between that kind of work and other types of work, which is uh, available for anthropologists, um, which is more, I guess, on the on the UX uh, like tactical end, where you get specific tickets, like you know, research tickets, like why is this feature not working, kind of thing. And then you have to design ways to get to that answer and and execute on that. And they're both very important, and we do do both. But um, my own preference lies in more in that kind of foundational piece. I guess I'm a bit of a masochist. So. You know, as part of the practice at Stripe Partners to do that, um, and you've already said this once, but you don't shy away from data science, you know, is my understanding from being on the outside. And so, um, you know, maybe, you know, whether this is your own perspective or if you can share like a perspective that's, you know, agreed on at, at Stripe, you know, what is... Um, why do you see that as being beneficial? And I ask that in the context that there are still many people who sort of resist bringing in these methods. And so how do you, how do you see that coming together and what's the value? That's a great question. Well, I'm not going to say anything that isn't my own. I'm not speaking for the right partners here. I'm speaking for myself. And um, this is, I think, quite useful because I don't have a bit data science background. Um, and I love data science. I love what it can do for us. And uh, you know, working on projects which have had elements of this, it presents tremendous opportunity to land your projects better. Actually, the thing I just mentioned in the last in the last uh, question about doing the work to get your work, you know, working, <laughs> um, data science can help with a lot of that. So when you do work with a lot of technology-led businesses, you tend to work with big engineering teams. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the typical engineer is a numbers person. They need to see the logic behind everything you're doing, which can be tricky when you're doing a lot of qualitative ethnographic research, which tends to have very small sample sizes, for example. And, um, you know, you might meet with someone saying, well, you've only spoken to sort of 20 people. Um, How can we change a product which affects millions of people based on the experience of these 20? and that's a completely valid thing to say. It's, it's hard to really sell in the, the value of anthropology unless you have an evangelist within your client organization, which we're very lucky to have plenty of these people. But data science can help with that uh, through, through sizing of people. So if, let's say, you uh, do, some, do some qualitative research, right, and you identify a set of attitudes or typical you know, stories, user stories that people, that people do, Let's say they use an app in a particular way. Well, a skilled data science uh, scientist can work with you to find out how to spot that pattern of behavior in a huge data set. So that's really cool. And we have something that I think, I don't want to butcher it, but it's a proprietary thing we're developing called um, a, fast, a fast sizing technique or something like that, a, a fast, fast sizing survey. Um, oh man, I hope I don't uh, get that wrong. But basically... The idea is that we give a really rapid but very accurate and um, and consistent indication of the scale of your findings. So that's really good, and that's an obvious way to sort of twin the qualitative and the quantitative work. But beyond that, when it comes to actually doing analysis, we're experimenting with um, you know natural language processing, that kind of thing, uh, sentiment analysis, 
which basically helps you go through all the data and the quotes that say that you've made um, in your over the course of your qualitative research and help kind of make sense of them. Maybe find some themes, find some patterns, um, give you a sense of of you know the strength of how 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 fast um, of how much things are coming through or not. So in that sense, I think data science is, is super important. What's interesting is, and you know, this is my I guess client management consultant hat coming on. What's interesting to me is 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 finding ways of like selling these projects in and and bringing in people at the right time because often in big client organizations, qual research teams or you know user research teams tend to be on slightly different like timelines or, or or wavelengths or they almost speak different languages than the data science people. So as we are doing more and more joint projects, which we, we've done some some big chunky ones recently, I can't talk about them, but we're really developing, I think, a lot of expertise in helping our clients talk to the data people within their organization and vice versa, helping the data people talk to the, the qual people and kind of bridging the gap. And actually, I think that sense of bridging the gap, to me, that's a uniquely anthropological thing. I think anthropology is is, is the social science for, for those kinds of conversation. Um, one of my favorite essays, I, I think I talked to you about this um, when we first met, was uh, this essay, Where Did Anthropology Go? by Maurice Bloch in, um, in a volume called Essays on Cultural Transmission. It's an interesting essay because he, he just, he's kind of just talking about the possibilities for anthropology. And this was written in the 90s, as well, I think. Um, or, yeah, a while ago. But um, he talks about how anthropology was shying away from answering these big, big questions. And it was kind of more and more interested in, in the specific and became very fragmented, you know, the whole kind of postmodern kind of milieu. And he talks about a, a conversation he has with a, a, a linguist colleague of his. And the linguist is kind of lamenting, you know, why aren't anthropologists talking about like humans or humanity? Like, why is that too big of a category? And then Maurice kind of, he kind of explores this, but then he, he concludes with this idea that anthropology should be a kind of um, sitting at the heart of different disciplines, bringing them together, you know, helping them talk to each other and providing that kind of firm ground that allows for kind of dialogue between different disciplines. And I think that is at play actually at Stripe Partners here, because we have anthropology sitting at the center of design and data science. We're bringing everything in and it's, it's a really exciting time, I think we work in a company like ours. Um, yeah. And so building on that, you know, what's your vision for the future of anthropology? Well, I um, touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'll kind of go into it a bit more, which is that I want anthropology to overthrow psychology as being the dominant social science in the kind of public wheel or public kind of understanding. And yeah, I, I feel like a lot of, a lot of the conclusions people have from psychology are based on these based on these sort of studies that aren't replicable. And obviously this is, is well known, you know, the, the replication dilemma, I think is what it's called, isn't it? Or, or replication crisis. But anthropology, I think is, it's more, it's more true. It's more honest. It's trying to get into, it's trying to meet people where they really are, you know, always. And because of that, it has a great potential to, to be just a, a practice people do, um, how they engage with the world. And I think that 
recently you've got these big books coming out. You know, obviously, Sapiens a few years ago, that to me felt like a a turning point because it was like, okay, this is a a very anthropological book, which is very widely read. I mean, I I didn't love the book, but I love that it was written, you know? I think that was really cool. Um, And then similarly, this uh, last year, there was uh, the David Graeber book, The Dawn of Everything. Which I, I think was was good as well. I mean, again, I didn't I didn't love the book, but I love that it was written, and um, I love the types of conversations I was overhearing people, you know, non anthropologists having. It felt very um, it felt very positive. So yeah, I feel like the fact that anthropology is about societies of people, groups of people, um, and about the slippages where you know b- between people, how people fall through the cracks. So much of anthropology is about looking at how systems don't serve serve individuals. And I think that's very useful. And especially as, you know, we enter a new phase of, of the tech world where it's dominated by AI. There's a real danger that if we, if we don't build more anthropological perspectives into these, you know, large language models or whatever it is, then these sort of, these cracks in society where people fall through will be magnified so much more because they get projected, you know, further and further. That's my view on it. I think that's my vision for anthropology. And also I think that's what we need. <laughs> Great. And so I know you and, and really the organization at large are engaged in, you know, thought leadership in, in various spaces. So, you know, if somebody wanted to hear your perspective or the company's perspective on you know, AI or data science, where would be some places that they could look? Yeah, uh, I think the best place um, is to go onto our newsletter. So we've got a newsletter stripepartners.substack.com. The newsletter is called Frames, and it comes out every month. And um, yeah, I'm I'm in, in charge of, of commissioning it, and um, and I, I've written a couple of them myself. But all the sort of people at Stripe Partners who have a passion for different areas, we kind of express ourselves here. And what we do is each week we we take a a theory or, or a, an idea, a concept from from the world of social science, and we apply it to business. And we create a visual to help you do that, like a, a model for help to help you do that in, you, in your work. And we've got good feedback on it and people have been using it in their jobs, which is exactly what you wanted, because we want to demystify a lot of social science, especially the, you know, theory derived from like, you know, French post-structuralists or whatever. You, you want to make sure that while that can be really fun in the academy, how does it apply in, you know, IRL? So this is what we're doing. We're applying it IRL. So I would urge you to, to um, subscribe to that. And then I can, I can brag to my boss that, look, I've grown it so much. So and that'll help me out. So <laughs> I'd like that. Um, beyond that, I would definitely follow us on LinkedIn. We quite often um, share other shorter bits of, uh, bits of writing as well, what we call perspectives and, and uh, viewpoints, which are you know, less consistent, but they can be on anything that interests us. Um, and yeah, uh, I think... If you want to really throw yourself into the community, I would highly recommend you get involved with Epic. So Epic is, a, as you know, a big conference every year that is all around anthropology and business and the intersection of that. And it's free to be a, become a member and all the, um, the proceedings of the past uh, conferences, they're all there to read on the site. And it's a tremendous resource. So I'd highly encourage uh, people to check that out um, if they want to learn more about this field in general, beyond just what Stripe Partners has to say. Great. And if somebody wanted to get in touch with you? The best way is LinkedIn still, because, you know, my, my 18 months as a recruiter has meant 
that I've got an extraordinarily huge LinkedIn following and that's it's been a big part of a of where I do do work. So yeah, please Mujtaba Hamid, that's M-U-J-T-A-B-A, H-A-M-W-E-D. Uh, I don't think there's too many people with my name, but you know, look for the one who works at Stripe Partners, got long hair, you know, um, slightly dazed expression on my face. That's the one. Um, so I accept any, any requests within reason. So yeah, come talk to me there. Um, yeah, that's good. And then also just follow our company as well for updates. Well, Mujtaba, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. To learn everything you need to break into business anthropology and why business anthropology is one of the best lenses for contributing to business success, visit my website at madarts.me, where I cover many topics related to business anthropology and beyond. There you will find all the podcast episodes, blogs, and news. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.